Today is part one of a two-part conversation with Charles Cox. Charles is a medium, a spiritualist minister, teacher, and founder of the Denver Psychic Development Group. For more information on Charles, you can visit denver-psychic.com. To contact myself or Lori, you can email us at spiritroadpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Awkwardly Zen Presents Spirit Road, a podcast about our spiritual journey where we can be awkwardly ourselves. It's a path that can be funny, absurd, enlightening, and life-changing all at the same time. Join us as we explore this mysterious world and life we live in. I'm Tim Behrens. I'm Lori Hewitt. And And this this is Spirit Road. Road. me and my counselor. <laughs> would you would you consider like ministering to a group here then? No. Okay. No, because uh, part of where I've um part of where I've grown to as a teacher, I know from my own experiences and from the people that I'm working with now more than ever how personal a spiritual journey can be. Yeah. Crazy personal. So much so that you can have um, experiences that aren't don't even translate into English. You can have interactions with, you know, the universe, spirit, God, great white buffalo woman, trust me, whatever it is, doesn't care what we call it, that are so profound that when you go to try to tell someone, you, you sound like a you sound like a nutcase. And we've all met these people, by the way. We've met someone like I was at church the other day, and I was praying to God. Right? And you're like, what the hell? That's because there's some, I think, some fail-safe in place so that you cannot talk about these things that are stupid profound. Not that you just, not that they don't translate, not that there aren't words, but like if, if spirit gives you something that's so crazy personal, I mean, crazy personal. That when you try to tell people that you really are speaking in tongues, it's in reverse, right? Nobody can, but nobody can translate this speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. You just sound like you're off your meds this morning. I can I've, so relate to that. Um, yeah. I have had the experience before of trying to express something in the moment to someone, someone I was uh, spiritually connected to, you know, having, having a profound experience with trying to articulate what was going on. And hitting a wall where um, it was literally the words would not come out of my mouth. It's like there's this desire to express going on internally and and nothing is coming out. It's almost like it wasn't intended to be shared in that way. And that became almost as perplexing as the experience itself. Like what is internally that's keeping me from being able to put into words this thing that is happening um, between us? And that's when we need that whole telepathic mind link thing where they can literally just link up with us and see and feel what we see and feel in that telepathic way. Because sometimes there is no way to express it, as you're saying. So the question on the table was what I consider ministering here. And the answer was no, because I think I do better one-on-one. I think I do better in the work I'm doing now. Because until we can link some kind of telepathic link, 
all I can do is hold someone's hands and let them laugh or cry or whatever as they revel in that experience that they can't possibly share. Mm-hmm. And I, having had these, having had these experiences myself, I can hold witness to that. And I don't have any interest in like trying to help them get clear because the people in my life that have held, tried to help me get clear, all it does is frustrate them. So you saw your dad? No, this isn't about my dad, right? It's just, you, you know, because it's whatever happened because I mentioned the name dad, then they're like, oh, so this is about your dad. No, uh, it's a very personal mm-hmm. thing. Back to the question about have I thought about um, what I consider ministering to another group. I, the classes I teach, I am ministering and it creates a different energy because then I'm not the minister in the room, right? And Lori, you've been to more than a couple of events. Mm-hmm. I'm always telling people I might not be your teacher and I want to tell you why. Tim, I don't know if I've told you this, but I have a disclaimer at the beginning of a class. People who wander into my classes, into the events, you might be looking for a spiritual teacher. I might not be that guy and then I tell them why. And that opens up a space that if they learn something, let them take it away. I had teachers that were really invested, two particularly, really invested that if I demonstrated or repeated anything I learned from them, that I credit them. It was stupid. It, it it didn't work. It didn't work for them at all, but it wouldn't work for me. I, Lori, if you got something from a class that you came to or the seance that you went to, I want you to put that to work. How you build a testimony to me is you, you make that part of the Lori framework and you build a whole bunch of shit with it. And, and you may say, well, you know, since I'm in a class, somebody said one time, I do not need to be credited. And that's the difference between the ministerial stuff, where there's still, even in that place, ministers that I work with, God bless their souls, right? There is some ego stuff going on. You know, I'm here to teach you. I have trouble finding shoes that match my pants. I'm not really sure I can give you directions in life on how to lead a life. And, and, yet, and yet I think I have for people. But it's, it's that energy that I, yeah. that I carry with me, intentionally carry with me. I don't want to I don't want to be the the shepherd anymore. Mm-hmm. That that's what brought that about. Yeah. Uh, what's coming to mind for me is like teacher versus guide. Like I've always thought of, you know, the idea of a guide is someone who's been up the mountain before and they may know some of the pitfalls, but ultimately they're having the experience too. Like it's a shared experience, right? I mean, is that kind of how you see your work with others or even that's maybe not? It is. What, what's interesting Using the guide as someone who'd lead you up the mountain, the person that's with the guide, the newbie, we'll call him a newbie. The newbie has to be open to hearing the advice from the guide. So there are things, I, I honest to God, do not hold stuff back. I just, I'm talking all the time. And if you care to listen, you're going to learn about business and my business and what I do. And I'm just not, it's too much energy to try to hold stuff back. Because what I know is most people aren't listening. So I'm, I'm throwing a seminar everywhere I go. And if you're taking notes, yay. And if you're not, that's great. So, but the guy, the trainee, the newbie has to be open to that advice. So I'll say, well, don't get too far. Don't get, you know, don't get too close to the edge of that road because that road may not be stable right at the cliffside. Well, they might listen to that and then they might not listen to that. And then I have a, a new newbie the next trip up, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and so people have come back to me and they said, well, you know, that thing you said about, 
like boundaries. I, boundaries is a big thing for me, energetic boundaries. Because if not, I, I spent a lot of time not being good about boundaries. And I ended up taking a lot of stuff home with me, emotionally taking a lot of stuff home with me. And it not having good boundaries messed with my my savior complex. I want to run in and save people, right? And, you know, I think he, for me, I had to get run over by the bus enough times to be like, it's not my job. It's not my job to save people. So tell people this, you know, talking about readings, I guess, or doing this kind of work. These are the things that I've run into that work. These things I've run into that don't work. Things that I've experienced because it's, it's a lot. You just, here's the deal. There are a number of people that uh, I've been on different Zoom calls and things like that. They really want to do this work, but it's as though they need to get so many things in order before they do this work. And they'll get frustrated when they talk to me because I'll say, just go do this work. Right. But I have to buy hanging folders so I can put my receipts for my sales in. And I don't know what bookkeeping accounting thing to get. And I haven't talked to my tax preparer about if I start making extra money, I don't, I don't care. Go do this. None of the, these are all just excuses from doing this work. The, the reason people do this, make excuses, I believe, is you throw yourself into this. This is crazy intimate work. Crazy, crazy, crazy. This is why the boundaries are so important. I am up in people's energy in ways that they're not used to having someone. Else. They might be married to someone that's not, they're not connected with in that period of time, the way they're connected to me. And you have to be careful. I have to be careful to honor those boundaries. And so I work a lot in classes with boundaries, you know, how to turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. That's my deal. Turn it on, turn it off. So that tonight when I go out to dinner with my family, I don't want to read the waitress and I, I don't want to read the, um, the bus boy who's doesn't make enough money and the cook that's been working for 14 days because they can't hire anyone. I, I just want to go. I just want a burger. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. I just, just want a burger. So getting into this work, I think people, whether or not they can identify that, they understand the responsibility and the intimacy. And most people are afraid of intimacy. So they run screaming. So they will spend the next five years. They'll take one more class. They will go to Staples or Office Max and, and buy more hanging files and the latest updated version of Quicken and still not see a client. I'm, I'm in favor of just go see, do something. If you're a Reiki healer, just go heal people. Worry about how you're going to make money later. Worry about that later. You got to go, got to read for people. To me, this brings up like something that feels very prevalent and present right now, which is I feel like I've been in a lot of conversations lately that have come about people reflecting on the state of the world the last few years. Like we were all put in this place of kind of forced isolation. And for a lot of people, myself included, that that equated to sitting with a lot of things that we hadn't been forced to sit with before. Um, I, one might even say that for a lot of people, that was an awakening experience because it, it opened them up to this, what is important in life? Why am I here? And now as some things are starting to feel a little bit more quote unquote normal, there's this experience of kind of having a foot in two worlds. Like on one side, you've got the hanging folders and the taxes and the files, and this is what I'm doing for a living. And this is my website, and my business plan. And on the other side, you have this 
maybe this experience of, uh, I'll say, an undercurrent of meaning, like something that's really come up like, wow, all of that kind of falls away when I start to look at my relationships and my connection and my connection to spirit, even for that matter. And I mean, do you have you noticed that with your work with people or even your own journey, like of just having this almost like a dissonance of how do I exist in, in these two worlds and how do I reconcile them in such a way that I'm not compartmentalizing my spirituality or compartmentalizing my day to day in such a, in such a way that it doesn't include that. So I, um, I had a teacher years ago that used a word and I, I'm going to share the word with you in a second, but those of us that are on this path and wherever you are on the path, you can be stone one. You take your first step on the stone path. doesn't make any difference you start to recognize that your spiritual life is different from your physical life and some desire to want to reconcile those. The teacher that I had years ago used the word ruined. She said, the first time that you have that experience, you're ruined because you can't go back. You cannot put the genie back in the bottle, right? (laughs) You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And so we had a whole bunch of people that sat alone who are afraid of being alone with their own thoughts in their own life who were forced to sit with this. So, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of stirring in people right now is this they've been ruined. Whatever, whatever they were taught about, whatever they were taught about themselves or whatever may not be true. The first time that thought crosses your mind, you're ruined because now the foundation of the house is is shaken a little bit. I'm the son of an immigrant. I'm, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'm just a worker bee. I get that a lot. People, I'm just a worker bee. You know, I can never be self-employed. Okay. Says you now, right? But if it was something you really wanted to do, I bet, I bet worker bee mentality would get, well, let's use the bee analogy. Worker bee mentality would fly out the window. <laughs> um <laughs> And so to your, just to your point, Tim, I think there's a lot of that, that people just were alone with their thoughts. And I, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if you're a screaming, I don't think of the right word. If you're just someone who even if you're an agnostic, just, there is just no such thing, right? God is just something people are making up in their heads when their mouth isn't running. They know there's some connection. They know there's something bigger. I don't care. So you're, it's fashionable that you're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever. Eh, good for you, right? But at the end of the day, you have some sense. They're looking for connection. They're looking for community. So best way to foster that is to make everybody disconnect for two years. So I was lucky because I had an office to go to. But guess what? No one was coming to my office. So I had two years in this office virtually by myself. It was It was a humbling experience. So I'm trying to I do this for a living. I've been, I've been on this path. I think most of my life I'm feeling, hum, I'm feeling humbled by all the crap that's going on, not in the world, but in my own head thinking, haven't I covered this before? No, no. Laurie, and you're, can I ask you a question in your doing work as a, as a therapist, as a counselor, I always felt like this is under the heading of haven't I covered this before? Almost like these things have depth to them. So I was, to me, it's like issues that are going like this, mm-hmm. but then there's a deeper level to this and then a deeper level of this. So when someone says, well, I've, I've, I've solved that problem. Yeah. Then 
oh wait, there's another level, <laughs> another level, right? That's the thing I I talk to folks about when they when they're doing shadow work or any kind of internal looking at themselves is that okay, yeah, you're going to do this big thing. And you're going to clear out whatever is going on, take a look at it, release it, whatever you do with it. And that's great. And then you're going to bump up against it again. Yes. And it's like, and that comes from experience. Why I, I literally spent 2020 doing nothing but shadow work. It felt like 24 seven. And I felt really good at the end. It was like, wow, whew, I've cleared out all this fear and all this crap I've carried around. And then six months later, I bump up against parts of it again. I'm like, what the hell? I thought I did this work. I have That's arrived. Like, I have arrived. Exactly. I've done it. <laughs> you know, exactly. I've done the work I've needed to do. All right, let's move on now. <laughs> because then the universe kicks you in the butt and says, oh, yeah, by the way. And that's what I began to realize. And I knew it as a therapist that it's in layers. It's like peeling an onion. Yep. And we never end. It's like, as long as we're in these physical bodies, I think, and living and breathing with minds and egos, we're going to keep peeling that onion. It, mm -hmm. Something's going to always come up at a deeper level, but it's still going to be something we have to take a look at. It's not like we ever get through with it, which really annoys me to no end, but that's just how it works. So I accept. <laughs> Do you get the sense that in, in a way that we are, we are here to have certain thematic things happen to us in our life. For instance, like, oh, I chose this life and my situation's in such a way that I could work on as spirit, work on my connection to relationship or work on my connection to independence or overcoming or resilience, whatever it would be. But that, um, I mean, thinking of that cyclical nature of finding that, you know, we work on something, we think we're done with it, and then we find... Um, in the mirror of the people that we bump up to, that there are levels that we had not considered, and it just keeps coming about again and again. I mean, to me, it feels like I'm here in this lifetime to work on relationship, and that it's been a theme for me since I was very little. I mean, one could argue that that's just, an, you know, a result of my environment that I was in as a child, and that's inner child work, you know, resurfacing in different ways. But it also feels bigger than that. It feels like there's you know, looking at it from a distance, that there's that there's a connectedness to all of these things. You know, not not just the cyclical nature, but just everything that comes up in my life. There are ways I can look at it where it feels like, oh yeah, this is meaningful. This is this is kind of why I'm here. This is the classroom or the course or the curriculum that I signed up for. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does it feel like that? <laughs> so the chicken and the egg thing, right? So mm -hmm. you're saying, well, it could be the things I'm working on are just a result of the family I was born into. But if you think of life as a school, you're a concert pianist because of the school you went to, right? So because you had a propensity for music. So were you born into the right family so that you could work on the issues you had to work on in this life? And that's the $64,000 question. I always felt, I'm tickled, by the way, because this will sound judgmental, but the truth is I am judgy. Uh, as we all are, I'm just fuss I just fess <laughs> up about it, which is funny. When you say that, people are like, oh, I'm not judging. Right? You're judging me right now because you think I'm judgy. Okay. Um, hey, I, if anything, as a teacher, I'm a disruptor, right? I'm a disruptor in that that I'm not, I'm not part of the echo chamber. I'm not teaching. I don't have Louise Hay book cracked open and just reading you stuff out of Louise Hay. I'm just teaching my teaching. 
a minister in my ministry stuff, whatever. Anyway, I'm always tickled when I meet people that are like, I came to this world to be a doctor. And I knew at age three that I wanted to be. I'm like, I have no idea who you are. I, I have no tangible experience with anything like that, right? That I, I, don't, I don't get that. On a, on a more human interaction, when I, my clients and friends and family, I've often wondered if part of, if there is something thematic, because I think it has to be. What if we come here just to embody who we really are? And that sounds really nebulous, but all of the disconnects and the, the psychic disconnections and the psychological breaks that we have are when we are acting out of accordance with who we are. And so it's about coming here and fully being in this body, right? And fully accepting the families you came from and the assholes that have touched your life, right? Knowing knowing I'm going to do a seminar on this one day because I just or a class on this. I think this is great. I want people to just really delve into all the people in their life who have caused them pain. Really just I'm going to I'm going to dump them. I'm going to I'm going to take the class like tea bags and put them right into like boiling water. Right. Then once you once I have you outline three or four people that you just hate that have messed with you and they hate you and the whole bit, I'm going to flip you. And I want you to think about the people that you've come in contact with for whom you are the devil. We are. There are people, all of us have touched someone who they just think you're the devil. Maybe rightfully so, and maybe not rightfully so, right? So coming into this life and fully accepting who you are and the shit you've done and the people in your life and the, your family and, and all of this releases all this stuff about all this angst and worry and crap so that you can actually experience life. Someone gave me a book. I don't think I have it handy called, is there life before death? I love the title of this book because, you know, it's easy for us to make fun of uh, other religions um, where they're, uh, you know, living all for the next life, right? Hinduism, they're all living for the next, trying to do shit now, just all for the next life that, you know, so they can get off the wheel of samsara and get, you know, got to get a better life. That next life, I don't want to be an ant or a housekeeper, basically. Um, are you having a life this life? That's the deal. If you are fully, or I don't know if you fully can be, but if you're as close as possible to expressing your soul energy, your soul essence, then you're having a life now. I will have an afterlife where I will get to see people. I don't have to spend now thinking about, ooh, these are the people I hope to see when I die because I'm going to see them anyway. Mm -hmm. I want to spend time. I want to love the people that I love and tell them that I love them and do things that make me feel happy, things that fill my heart with joy, not out of obligation, but things that make me joyful. Then maybe I'm getting closer to expressing my soul. So as a thematic thing, just back to your thing, Tim, I, I wonder if, as we're talking about layers, right? There might be an echelon top layer, right? Of you're just coming here to express your soul. And these are the things you're going to work on while you're here. And I, I just, it's nutty. It's people get nutty about what they came here for in the same way they get nutty about past lives, right? I talked earlier about some people who want to do this work don't do this work because it makes them nervous. Well, some people don't have a life because having a life makes them nervous so that I can fuss about my mom and fuss about the life I had when I was in Mongolia 
and fuss about who's going to meet me on the other side after I die. That, that eats up bandwidth in my head like crazy. If you can be quiet and in the moment, can you love someone? Can you be a good friend? Do you know how to be a good friend? I've been mad at people in my life who treated me badly. And part of my shadow work, it struck me one day that they didn't know how to be a good friend. And so that I was holding them to a I was holding them to some standard. Let's call it what it is. Who's the crazy in the room if I'm asking people who don't have a certain skill to exercise a skill they don't have? The crazy in the room would be me. And not to justify anyone's actions at all, but I can recognize that in in relationships, business relationships, personal relationships, where I'm asking people to do something they're not capable of. If I'd known that, I could have loved them anyway. Some of my best friends are, are fun, are fun, crazy people that God broke the mold when he made them. But I know that ahead of time. I have a friend, he's a brother from another mother. He is my brother in this life. And he is, um, well, he's nuts. But he's nuts where he's not hurting anyone or hurting himself. But after you talk to him for five minutes, you're like, ooh, right? People, I can tell because if you meet him for the first time, the more he talks, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) but there's something so honest about him. And I accept him for who he is. That's, I mean, we've known each other for over 30 years. I think that's the basis of our, our relationship. He's just real and sometimes real crazy, but he's everyday real. So I wonder if that's one of the things we come here to work through. No, that's very profound what you were saying. I like that. It resonates as true for me. My confusion sometimes in the struggle I find is how do I stay? So it's mind and ego constantly chattering on and on and on and on as it does. And how do I stop paying attention to that so much and really listening to that soul self. It's like, who has, who has my best interest? I mean, is, I believe is truly me in that sense. And how do I be that more than being caught up in all that ego crap? And I know ego is important. You know, I really couldn't live without it. And yet, how do I find that balance? It's a constant struggle. And I can do it for five seconds, maybe at a time, maybe some days. The Buddhists believe that the ego is like an like a eggshell mm-hmm. and that it contains the precious cargo inside. And at yet, at some point, the eggshell has to go or the precious cargo inside will perish. Right. So those are my Yoda words of wisdom. I don't know how you get the voice to shut up, because if you do. <laughs> modern medicine, Western medicine focuses on pharmacopoeia to take care of that. Most of the people I know that have those kind of problems that are taking some kind of medication, the voice is still present. You'd, I think you'd have to put someone into a coma, and I, not to be funny, but we all have that, right? Right. Um, or a mushroom journey would probably help, but you can't just live there. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't we just legalize mushrooms in Colorado? Yeah, but it's not something you'd live with. For me, it's about hatching those mostly derogatory, negative things that my ego spins, the stories that it wants to spin all the time about stuff or about people or about me. What I'm working with is trying to catch those sooner, paying attention to it, going, oh, wait a minute, I see this. 
and then recentering myself somehow mentally into my heart space and watching those dialogues, that diatribe just disappear. But it's a constant, what, what I'm struck with was, is how unconscious I am most of the time walking through life in autopilot and not paying attention to the messages I'm telling myself constantly. Yep. It's exhausting to be that conscious all the time, quite honestly. So yeah. the, the, ego, the ego plays a crazy game. The ego is con so the ego's job back to the the eggshell is to maintain all of everything on the inside mm -hmm. right and so my ego is telling stories all the time about who I am my interactions with Tim my interactions with Lori my interactions with people I share an office with just everything chat 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 some of that is true some of it's not so the ego gets worried that it's making shit up so then I will tell Tim Tim, um, I hate to say this because we're recording this, but I don't really like Lori, right? She had this thing one time where, right, she's giving me some side eye, whatever. So then later on down the line, you say to me, you know, we, we'll just do you and I next time because I know you don't really like Lori. My ego loves that because now you are telling my story back to me. Oh. Now the, the ego's like, hey, see, Charles doesn't like Lori. And, and people know it. <laughs> and so we tell stories, all the stories about, uh, about when we're kids, stories about relationships, stories about jobs. And, you know, not that I have any interest in crossing over right away, but I'm interested in, for real, having a third person out of my body experience and be able to look back across my timeline and have a, a checklist of, well, that wasn't true. Well, that wasn't true, and that wasn't true. And since the ego wants to make everything about itself, then Lori may in fact have been giving me side eye because she had dust in her eye, right? Because we're outside, we're outside at a picnic, and she gets a little dust, and she's like, but somehow my ego thinks that Lori's, you know, giving me the bird. And then I think, well, I don't like you, lady. And then Lori's confused, like, I thought you liked me. I don't know what the deal is. What did I ever do to you? And I'm like, well, remember that time we were at that picnic and you. <laughs> It's it it it's crazy. I mean, and the ego does it all just to keep everything on the inside, just to make it all real. And we tell people, we just we tell people certain stories so that you will then mirror those back to me. That makes my ego happy. That yeah. yep. Yeah, it's um that's interesting that we're constantly looking for confirmation that the dialogues and narr narration that's in our head is actually real. Uh, yeah. I think Laurie was on to that one saying, you know, maybe the trick is not to get rid of that, but to recognize that it's there in the first place. There's in, in authentic relating, there's a practice of um, assume nothing or check your assumptions might be. And and I love that practice of saying like, well, if I recognize I'm telling telling a story and it may or may not be true, one asking myself that question, uh, you know, is is this true? What do I know that's true here? And often it's very little. It's it's a short answer, right? You know, we could come up with all sorts of things about the story we're telling, but the reality is that we only fraction of that we might actually know. And then the other is to check the assumption, which is to say, hey, Lori, you know that time at the picnic when you were rubbing your eye and, and looking at me, I'm, I am, I'm telling a story or I have this assumption that you were thinking something, I, you know, making some kind of judgment about me and it's bringing up this judgment in myself, right? Is that true? Is that's what's going on? You know, like how powerful is that when we can actually have that conversation with someone and ask, 
if the story that we're telling is true and, and, and most often, you know, find out that it's not even going a step further with that. I had a, I had a meditation recently where, and this happens all the time, you know, where you, the meditation is about creating distance between the stories our brain is telling and that observer. Right. And somehow I connected to that observer in such a way that even, even the narration in my head about returning to my breath or being in the silence was, I was able to step away from that. And it's like, oh, look, Tim's telling himself to let that go and return to his breath. And and that became a narration. It became another level. And it's like, how many layers do I have to get removed before that voice drops away? And I'm actually in true silence and not thinking, well, there's this voice saying, you're in true silence right now. <laughs> and And that's my ego talking too. It's like, how many layers are to that? And in the midst of that, I was really able to recognize that the narrator, what I normally perceive in my day-to-day as Tim, is just this accumulation of assumptions that I've gathered through the years. Based Uh, on limited experience. Right. Right. At my age, where I'm born, where I'm, you know, the color of my skin, the that my genitals are on the outside and not on the inside, <laughs> creates a whole different path than a whole other group of other people, right? right? I, yeah. When I, I talk about people who've crossed, really the only things they ever talk about ever are their connections with people. And over the years, I thought, well, why would that be? I mean, I get why that is, but why would that be? And I thought, because it just struck me one day. of the world don't live in lives like we live. They don't, a lot of them live under bridges and in huts and on planes, right? There is no, no sorrow on the other side. I really miss the train bridge I lived under, right? So the same would be true. That's their reality. So when someone who lives in a nice home or has nice things, they cross, all that matters was their interaction with people, not the beautiful home they lived in or the beautiful clothes they had nice car they drove. No no one cares. Now, in a reading, they will push forward the red Mustang because the red Mustang has meaning, but it has meaning to you and I as a a form of ID, not as I'm driving around the afterlife of my red Mustang. And how does Ford get paid for that? Not, they're not. See, if we actually establish, (laughs) if we actually establish connection between this world and the next, there'll be all kinds of litigation. It'll be the death of death. If my parents who are gone, all of a sudden able to communicate, would they not be able to manage their money? If they are unhappy with the way that I'm living my life, I would not ever have received any money from an estate. They could just mess with me from the other side. Truth is, I didn't dig you while we were alive and we don't dig you now. The death of death. But nobody would have any money. There would be nothing to pass on. You couldn't own anything because the house you live in, I assume, Tim, someone lived in it before you. Someone lived in my house before I lived in it. I'm only a second owner, so I'd have to answer to Phyllis, who actually died there, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it just creates all this crazy. So these spirits, all they have is just their connections with people. And that's only because that's at the end of the day, that's all we have, our interactions with the folks that we, that's it. Cars come and go, even people come and go. Clothes come and go, fortunes come and go. The Shakespeare quote about slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? This this was true in the 1500s. It's true now. Your people are down, then they're up, <laughs> then they're back down again, then they're back up again. Nothing to 
nothing permanent about any of it. And then we die. So there's nothing even permanent in that. Do you think that human beings will ever understand this and realize that, that the only thing that really matters is relationships? More to come with Charles Cox in the next episode as we move into new territory with Lori's question. We'll see you next time.